A few years ago, I was welcoming seniors into the upper room for our twice monthly luncheon. Lots of hugs and checking in to see how everyone was doing. In walked a delightful lady that we have gotten to know well over the years. She goes to another church and she's quite involved in the community and she's what I would call a lifelong learner. Well, she came in the door, she made a beeline for me and she said, Colleen, I heard the most amazing sermon last week. Our pastor always does a good job, but this time he outdid himself. Do you know what he talked about? Caught up in the enthusiasm, I said, I don't know, but I can't wait to hear about it. And she said, the ascension. Oh, everybody goes on and on about Christmas and how important Easter is, but the ascension, that's where it's at. That's the good stuff. The ascension holds everything together and is the dark horse of the whole gospel. The dark horse. The one no one bets on, but everyone wishes they did because it wins in the end. As she talked, I reflected on her words. I've been a Christian a long time. I've probably heard a sermon on the Ascension, but I have no real memory of it. And I've never preached it. It's something that we all know happened, but maybe don't think much about. A line from one of my commentaries struck me. Among church festivals, the ascension seems like a poor cousin who is overlooked and passed over without being missed. Yes, we know Jesus was taken up in the clouds and then we move on to the action-packed stories of the early church. Coming in between Easter and Pentecost, it just doesn't seem as significant. So I told myself that at the next opportunity, we were going to take a longer look at the Ascension. So Nancy, this one's for you. Among the gospel writers, Luke is the one who gives us the narrative, the only narrative of the Ascension, twice in fact. There are a few short sentences at the end of his gospel and another one we read today at the beginning of Acts, which he also wrote. Luke was a physician and a methodical thinker who also joined Paul on some of his missionary journeys, giving vivid descriptions of their travels. He was clearly well-educated and his careful, rich narratives have given the church a treasured legacy. So today we're in Acts chapter one, verse one, going through verse 11. In the book, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May we hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church through this important scripture. The ascension of Jesus happened 40 days after Easter. If we had celebrated it in real time this year, it would have been this past Thursday. A good friend who knew the topic of our sermon this week sent me a pretty funny joke. She said, today is the feast of the ascension. To those who wonder what it's about, it's the day when Jesus started to work from home. <laughs> Can't we all just relate? Love that. <clears throat> the early church recognized the importance of this event. As we read the Apostles' Creed this morning, Jesus returning to the Father was a key part of their belief system. Nancy is correct. The ascension matters because it is where Jesus is exalted to the highest place after his time on earth. Imagine being one of those who saw him lifted up into the cloud. What words would they use to describe or make sense of it? They understood it to be necessary as the Lord taught them that he was going away. But in subsequent writings, they teach us that it means that Jesus is still on the job. He is interceding for those who seek him. He is on the throne. As Tammy told us, he is in heaven and in our hearts. Joel Green, a New Testament scholar at Fuller Seminary, goes so far as to say that the ascension is the saving event in Luke's understanding of the good news. Everything leads up to it in the Gospel of Luke, and everything follows from it in the book of Acts, as he records the continuing work of Christ through the church. It is at once the conclusion and the beginning, rather like a much-needed hinge, connecting two important pieces without which nothing hangs together. If the book of Luke and Acts were originally one act, as we suppose them to be, this makes so much sense. Because they are divided, it is the ascension that holds them together. What does Luke want us to know about the ascension from the text today? This is the turning point to the time we continue to live in now, so we need to remind ourselves why it matters. First, Luke wants us to know that this is all part of the plan. In the opening words here, Luke is reminding us how he wrote about all that Jesus did from the very beginning. In his gospel, he lays out Jesus' life, purpose, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection. Jesus, Luke is like the other narratives, but he widens his perspective to show God's overall purposes more. 
Here, Luke is reminding Theophilus, to whom both books are addressed, about how he has put it all out there for people to see the truth of Jesus. And we see not just how methodical Luke is, but rather how methodical God is. The Father who is orchestrating all of the movements so everyone can understand his kingdom's purpose around the world. He has directed the entire scope of all that has happened. And Luke wants us to know that everything which has gone on with Jesus is part of a greater plan to bring people to himself. Jesus was taken up into heaven, indicating that the ascension, like the resurrection, is an intentional act of the Father. It's part of a larger plan. Secondly, Luke wants us to know that it's all about the Holy Spirit. Last week in the Wednesday Word, Ryan talked about this passage with regard to waiting. And Jesus told his followers to stay in Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which was going to come to them. This is not the first time they've heard about this. Before his death in John 16, Jesus says how necessary it was for him to go away. In that moment, Jesus clearly tells them that he has come from the Father and it is now time for him to go back. And he knows that they're filled with sorrow at his leaving, but he tells them if he doesn't go, the advocate, the spirit of truth, will not come. But if he does leave, he says, he will send the spirit to always be with them and they will have great joy at receiving him. Here, Luke quotes Jesus again, saying how John baptized with water, but they are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the next few days. Very soon, they're going to be drenched with the presence that they are afraid of missing. The Spirit will come with the power that they and all those who come after will need. Did you see the quote from Ernest Hemingway that I put in the newsletter this week? He said this, Ascensions into heaven are like falling leaves, sad and happy all at the same time. Going away isn't really sad, especially when your going enables a new kind of presence to be born. The ascension paves the way for the Spirit to be born in us. Third, Luke wants us to know that Jesus will be exalted as the king, but not the kind of king that they were thinking about. So Jesus tells them that they will be baptized soon with the Holy Spirit, which prompts them to ask if this is the time he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They wanted their nation brought back to what they perceived as its glory or former position of power. Now, this is a reasonable question for them to ask because of how they've been taught and the expectations they had. They'd been promised a Messiah who would build a kingdom and bam, here he is. Is this finally the time that they will be delivered from their circumstances? How often do we ourselves ask this same kind of question? We all want to be saved from the pain that we have in the world 
to have the favor that we know God can give us through politics or nation status or being a dominant force. We want God to give us whatever our idea of victory or success is. However, Jesus sidesteps this question because the kingdom of God is not based on territory or our position in any kind of system. Remember, this is the same God who was crucified at the hands of those in power. So that's not the kind of power he comes to bring. This isn't how he operates. No matter where or when people in history have lived, Jesus comes to bring a society on earth that is like the one in heaven where God reigns and where his will is done on earth. Instead, Jesus directs the conversations of the people to God's authority and the mystery of his plan. This passage is full of anticipation, isn't it? Jesus is telling them to think bigger than they have been. He doesn't want them to look back to an old kingdom, an old regime, but to look forward to the new one where God is going to redeem all nations, not just one. The ascension builds on what came before and leads to a glorious future in which he reigns in a kingdom with no end. It's easy for us today to think too small about what God is doing as if he exists to help us in our context instead of the other way around, where our lives are meant to help bring his presence to earth. So I encourage all of us, especially with so many loud political voices all around us, where faith can be brought in as a weapon or an incentive to continually seek the Lord for who he wants us to be and where he wants our focus to be centered. Which leads us to what Luke wants us to know next. The ascension is all about the mission. In case the disciples or we are wondering where we should be focused, Jesus speaks plainly. He says, be my witnesses. Tell my story to those closest to you to those who are further out, and to those who are at the ends of the earth from you. The disciples wanted to go back to an amazing time in history, and he points them forward. He is always in front of us because he wants people to know him, to know his saving grace, to know his love that takes away shame, to know his truth, which sets us free, to know the chains of oppression being lifted from all shoulders. Jesus said he came to overcome the world, to give hope that goes beyond this place. And I say, praise the Lord to that. When we keep looking back for an old way to fulfill us, or when we hope for systems to save us here, we miss the point. By going away, Jesus begins a whole new age and what it means for us to be part of that mission. Luke wants us to know that there were witnesses at this event. At every point of Jesus' time on earth, there are people who saw what happened and then recorded it. While some news is fake, 
we want to take time to discern what is true and what is made up. The reliability of the Gospels in all literature is actually very high. Here the witnesses saw Jesus go into a cloud. And we know that the cloud has great biblical meaning. It represents God's very presence. God spoke to Moses through a cloud. The people followed Yahweh in a cloud as they wandered through the desert. God spoke out of a cloud when Jesus was baptized, when he was transfigured on the mountain. Now Jesus leaves in a cloud, meaning now his time on earth is done. He is received into the glorious dimension where God dwells outside of space and time. Jesus didn't just disappear one day or leave town on a donkey or vaporize. He was enveloped into the Father's presence. We know where he is. Lastly, Luke wants us to know about the angels, which figure prominently in his writings. They bring good news from God and correction when necessary. When the women were weeping at the tomb of Jesus, they come and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Here angels appear and give two ideas. One is a gentle reminder to get moving back to Jerusalem and to wait for what is promised. Jesus is gone. There's work to do. Why are you standing there? Why are you gazing up into the sky when you could be looking around to see who God wants you to be and where he wants you to be? Go prepare your hearts for the spirit to come. The other thing that the angels tell them is that this is not the end of the story. Jesus, the same Jesus that you have seen being taken away, is going to return in the same way that you saw him go. Jesus told them that not even, that he, even he didn't know when that time would be. They're giving the disciples reassurance while also a warning to be ready. All week long, I've been wrestling with why the Ascension matters. So allow me to remind us of a few ideas that Luke doesn't give, but are affirmed in the rest of the New Testament as a way of embracing the full picture. Jesus is the exalted king who sits at the right hand of the Father in power and authority. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that God raised Christ and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms for far above all rulers and authorities, all powers and dominions in this age and the one to come. Jesus is not buried in the ground, nor is he a long entry in the archives of history, nor does he live only in the memories of those long gone. He resides in the presence of the Almighty God, where he rules by his right hand. When the ascended Lord returns, it will be as our eternal judge and king to abolish injustice, suffering, and death forever as he reigns in righteousness and love. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our high priest who has passed through the heavens. 
from his throne, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he has been tested just like we are, yet is without sin. Therefore, we can approach his throne with boldness because we will find grace and help in our time of need. Romans 8 chimes in to say he is not indifferent to our struggles. He endured all of the pain so that we can know that he is with us in our suffering. The ascension clarifies what the resurrection means. Since God exalted Jesus, the same Jesus who welcomes sinners by suffering and dying for them, he welcomes us now as our risen Lord. He has gone to the Father's side to help all those who believe in him to rise to new life, spiritually, and bodily when the time comes, when they pass from this earth. This is the astounding promise that death does not hold us here. Another commentator said, this means that because Jesus has ascended as our risen Lord, none None of the other losses we experience here in our relationships, our jobs, our health, anything can truly harm us or rob us of all that God has promised to us. We will all rise no matter what happens to us. And this is because of the ascension. All circumstances, Jesus can change. He can transform because he is our ascended Lord. Not even death is the end, because we, like Jesus, will be taken to God's side. Paul ties the ascension into spiritual gifts in Ephesians, saying, when Jesus was taken in a cloud, he made captivity itself a captive by giving gifts to his people. Some are apostles, some are encouragers, some are teachers, some are prophets, but all are meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The ascension makes it possible for us to be part of the body where we all grow up into him as our living head. That's discipleship. And it is because of the ascension that we worship Jesus as the lamb who was slain he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise. And we bless his name in all manner of song and praise and activity as we join with all of creation to proclaim his holiness and greatness as the King of Kings. I want to end with a thought from Augustine. For him, the ascension wasn't the outsider at the party. The ascension is the party thrower. He says, Jesus ascending to the Father is what confirms all that is good and beautiful about the rest of the events in the Gospels. Without this miraculous event, everything else has been useless. Why? Because the ascension is the coronation of Jesus, the affirmation of his rule and reign over all of creation. Augustine says, if Jesus isn't the king, then we have no gospel. His birth is fairly meaningless, the cross ineffective, and the resurrection underwhelming. This Sunday, we give honor to our risen King who has ascended to the Father. We worship Him and trust we 
who are elevated will live with him now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.